0: Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. For the time remaining from now until 1045, we're going to have our brother Ken Hardesty come up. Brother Ken, please. Thanks. please? my pocket. Good morning. Good to be with you all again this morning, and it always uh, warms my heart to be here with you all. We always very much enjoy our weeks that we get to spend with you all here at Claremont. Especially warms my heart to always have time with with Brother Ed, and it's great to see Don and Janet, because those things always bring us back, always bring us back to times past And to see them again just reminds us once again of the faithfulness of God in all of our lives and how he has drawn us along through many, many times and many, many trials and hardships and joys and blessings as the Lord has brought us along. The verse that Don shared this morning to start where he said the secret things belong to the Lord. You remember that When we began this series on Lamentations, and you can be turning to Lamentations. When we began this series on Lamentations, I shared with you what drew me to these laments. What drew me to the laments of the Psalms, as I read through many of the Lament Psalms. And as I read through the uh, Lamentations, as I read through portions of, of Job and the laments that you find there. What led me to begin that study several months ago was a little boy named Elijah. And that little boy, as I told you, is is just turning eight years old, I guess. And uh, he has been suffering with cancer in his jaw. And they found it on his liver now. And they found it on his lungs that he has been suffering through all of these treatments. And my heart just ached. When I saw that little boy in the arms of his mother, because his face looked like my grandson, Lucian, looked like him. And the Lord, I think, did that to draw me in. Because afterwards, in all the other pictures, he didn't look anything like Lucian. But in that first one, he looked like my grandson. And I was drawn in to lament with the parents, to lament with the family, To cry out unto God on behalf of this little child. Why, Lord? Why this little child? But the secret things belong to the Lord, God. The secret things belong to Yahweh, our Elohim, the strong and mighty one. I don't need to know the why. I cannot answer the why. He has struggled through all these times. But I can know the things that God has revealed to us because they belong to us. And that is that God is good and He is faithful. And even though I cannot understand the secret things, I can understand that He is good and He has a purpose and a reason behind the things that happen Behind the hard, hard things to understand. And one day, perhaps, he will choose to reveal to us why. Why? Because we see things in little pictures. We see things through little lenses. That see a period of time that is limited. He sees all things from beginning to end of which there is no end. The secret things belong to the Lord. We have seen already the lady Zion. We have seen the narrator crying out as he's looking at all that Zion, all that Jerusalem has suffered in the invasion of the Babylonians. Babylonians, In this third invasion where Jerusalem is laid waste. The temple is gone. And the people lie in the ashes of what was once the joy of the whole earth. And they lay in the ashes. And they mourn and they groan. And then you remember that when we got to around verse 12 of chapter 1, now we hear the woman herself speaking. And she is a representative of all the people of Jerusalem, all the people who are now going to be taken into captivity. And she speaks as a woman all these laments unto God. I'm just going to read the very last two verses of this lament you remember that these are four laments that are acrostic in nature they go through each one of the letters of the hebrew alphabet even though there's 22 letters in the hebrew alphabet that's why each one of these laments will have 22 verses while well, you say verse chapter 3 has 66 well that's because when they when they added chapters and verses they divided them up by those little sections but each stanza of 3 verses is just each one of those stanzas begins with the same Hebrew letter and it goes on to the next and then goes on to the next. Three stanzas, three stanzas, bringing us to the center of this book in chapter 3. So it's 22 stanzas. And then we get to chapter 4 and it's 22 again. And then you get to the very last one where it's just one single line each, not in an acrostic, but in a lament that hobbles to the finish line hobbles to the end of this lament. We're going to read verses 21 and 22 for this session this morning. And now we have three minutes. They have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. You remember that phrase repeat it five times here. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for all my sighs, my groans are many and my heart is faint. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. A very rhetorical question. Is that proper to say very rhetorical? But it's a rhetorical question. Is God ever taken by surprise? Is he ever taken by surprise? Is God ever in a situation where he needs to pivot? I wasn't expecting this to come, but since it's come, I will do this. I heard a well-intentioned speaker one time speaking about the dispensations of God throughout the scripture, the dispensations of God. And as he was speaking of these dispensations, he said, and then when this one ended, God said, well, that didn't work very well. Let me try this. Well, that didn't work very well. Let me try this. Has God ever taken by surprise? Never. Never. He is never taken by surprise. God never has to change the direction of His plan and purpose. His program and purpose from the fall of of man has centered around a promised seed that would come right from the beginning. From the beginning of time, God has been working out His program for the ages. Over and over through the Scriptures, the promise is reiterated and the seed is preserved. The shortcomings and failures of men in their sin and in their rebellion against God does not change the purpose and design of God. And even taking His people who were in rebellion away captive into Babylon which to them seemed like the end of all things. We have been deserted by our God. He has not delivered us. We have come to an end. Our nation has come to an end. Even though we remember that Jeremiah had promised, God had promised through Jeremiah that they would return. Daniel found that promise in the writings of of Jeremiah, that after 70 years were accomplished, that God would bring back his people. He was going to bring them back because the purposes and plans of God are yea and amen. And they will not change. You can't change them. You can't alter them. He will fulfill his purpose and desire because he is the almighty God and we're not. He is the almighty God and we are not. God made promises, God made covenants with the people of Israel. He made promises to Abraham, he made promises to David. And those promises were unconditional. Unconditional. They did not depend on how well Abraham performed. They did not depend depend on how well David would perform. They did not even depend on how well all the kings that came after him performed. It depended on God and his ability to do what he said he would do. For for many, many years, and I have to end because our time is already gone. For many, many years, people would look and they would say, well, we must interpret all of these prophecies concerning Israel, we must interpret them symbolically. We must interpret them allegorically. Because Israel is not a nation any longer. It is no longer in its land any longer. And the chances of it coming back to that land and being able to have all these Jews back in Israel as they were once will never happen. So let us allegorically apply all of these things. And yet what happened? God in His sovereignty and in His power said after the Jews had been taken away and and six million of them slaughtered by the Nazis, they granted them a homeland. And Israel was born again in 1948. It became a nation again. And then... Daniel had prophesied that 70 weeks are determined upon thy city, thy, thy, um, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. Jerusalem was not possession of Israel. But then a war took place. 67, a war took place. And Israel once again took control of Jerusalem. And for the first time, the first time since the Babylonian captivity, Israel was a sovereign nation with Jerusalem as their capital. Whether the world recognized them or not, whether the world recognized Jerusalem as their capital or not, Israel recognized this is our capital, Jerusalem. And we will never give up Jerusalem. And God's plan moves on. God's plan moves forward. And in these psalms, in these laments, see I'm closing my Bible. In these laments that God brings, they are carefully crafted psalms, aren't they? They're carefully crafted laments with all these acrostic and all the way they're laid out. They're carefully laid out. It Because they were not written when they were laying in ashes. They were written when he was in captivity. Where he could write out carefully all that they had endured. All that they had gone through. But God had promised. God had promised. We'll end there. Sorry. You're not sorry. I'm sorry. We'll end there. And we'll pick up again when we come back in just a few moments. We're happy this time to turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time over to our brother Ken Steve. Seems like I've seen you somewhere before. <laughs> trying to remember, just the, it seems like maybe a half hour ago I was standing up here and you were all still there and you're all still smiling. So that's a good sign. <laughs> we had donuts. Yeah, donuts, that's what it was. You had donuts and it put a smile on everybody's face. Turn with me back to Lamentations, please. The book of Lamentations. It's good to have some representatives of the Cole family with us this morning. And it's good, of course, to see you all. And this will be our last time together for, for another year, likely, if the Lord uh, keeps us and we gather together again next November, and we'll see you again then. But uh, this will be our last Sunday together, and I'll miss seeing you, miss being with you again. Let's turn again to the same verses we read earlier, and then we're going to continue on um, later on into into the latter chapters. But this is the woman Zion singing. We've gone all our introductions. The Cole family, you didn't get to have all the introduction stuff. You didn't have all the messages that came before. So we're cutting into the middle. So you're cutting into the middle of a series of messages. We're going to read the same messages that Lady Zion now is, is saying to the Lord in chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 21 and 22. They have heard, this is the enemies, that I groan. But no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day that you have announced, that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you, and do to them as you have done for me. For all my transgressions and all my groaning are many, and my heart is faint." Lord, I'll add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, again, we pause in thy presence to ask for your guidance and the guidance of your spirit. As we once again look at these laments, we pray that you would bless and you would encourage and you would strengthen us through these words. We commit it to thee in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. We were talking earlier about how God is in control of all the plans, his plans and purposes. That everything that He has designed and purposed will be accomplished. That is what omnipotence is all about. Omnipotence deals with the idea of the will. God has the will and the power to accomplish what He desires. Nothing that man can do can thwart the purposes of God. Nothing that man can do can catch God by surprise so that he has to pivot And try and reorganize. His purposes and his promises are yea and amen. And he is moving forward in his purposes. And when the people of God had sinned, when they had turned against him, in his faithfulness, he brings judgment. And why do we say in his faithfulness? Because he had promised in Deuteronomy 28 that if they turned away from Him and sought after other gods and would not repent, that under the curses that were to come, one of them was that they would face destruction from the hands of their enemies and be taken away captive by the hands of their enemies. They did not heed. They did not listen. They did not obey. They continued in their wayward ways. They continued in their transgressions and God, because he is God and will not and cannot lie, he brings about what he had purposed. And the people of Israel, Judah and Jerusalem, are taken away, captive into Babylon. Now, the accounts that we find in the Lamentations are accounts of what happened at the destruction of the city. As we mentioned earlier, these are carefully worded and carefully constructed laments. Five laments that are very carefully constructed as the writer, likely Jeremiah, looks back on this time and puts puts all the struggles and all the laments and all the tears into these beautiful laments. Now remember one thing, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember one thing, is that throughout this entire book god is silent he never responds he never speaks to them there's a place there's a place in the book where someone quotes something that he has said in the past but never does god respond there is silence from the hand of god we remember with job even though god was silent in in a large swath of that time, when the counselors would come and try to comfort Job, that God never answered, God never spoke. And you remember here in these laments, she says she has no one to comfort her. No one came to her side. None, None of the friends that she had, none of the lovers that she once had came to her side. At least Job had counselors that tried to help. They were not very good counselors in that they couldn't understand the great counsel of God. But nor do we. Nor do we see it. How would you have responded to Job in those circumstances? Behind the scene, there was a great, great event going on that Job was not privy to. But in the end, God did respond to him. It wasn't the answer that Job was looking for. But he showed him his majesty and his power. And so that Job repented in sackcloth and ashes. He saw the greatness and the power of God. Here in the laments, God is silent. The sin and the failure and the transgressions of the people of God, to whom the promises were given through Abraham and through David, those unconditional covenants that were given to them, cannot change. The purpose of God. Even in their transgressions, even in their failure, the promise of God stands. Man, man's sin cannot slow it in its course. Man's sin cannot stop the plan and purpose of God. It is on a timetable that God has established. And it will be so. And it will be true. The promises of God are yea and amen. And the destruction of Jerusalem, the captivity of Judah into Babylon does nothing to deter God from fulfilling His desired end. The Messiah would come. The promised seed was not stopped. You see, through Scripture, God has made promises of a Messiah that was to come. He made that first promise to to Satan himself, to the devil himself at the fall. That he would come. The seed would come. It will crush you. He will come. And down through the ages, the enemy has sought to deter that. The enemy has sought to break that promise. The enemy has sought to to take away the promises. But he does not have the power to do so. God has promised. So, what would the people going into bondage, what would these people going into bondage and now being in bondage after such terrible destruction by the hand of the Lord, the Lord has brought it? And we're going to see that very clearly as we go along. What would the people have to hang on to going off into Babylon, going off into, into captivity? They would have to hang on to the promise of God. This interesting thing that we oftentimes forget is that common people didn't have the word of God in their hands like you do. They didn't have ink on a page where they could just look back and see things that had happened. Oh, let's let's read the Psalms. Let's read this. Most of it was just they heard it spoken to them. Now, they had scrolls that were written. Not everyone had a scroll in their home where they could look back at the promises God had made. They would have to remember the things that they had learned. They would have to remember from the priests who would teach them, from the rabbis who would teach them. They had to remember the things that were taught to them. They'd have to recall them. Not as easy as it is for you and I. But what would they have to hold on to? A Jeremiah. And Isaiah, who in chapter 13 guarantees to them that indeed Babylon, as she pleaded with God to do, do unto them like they've done to us. And Isaiah 13 tells them this is exactly what God is going to do. Babylon, when she becomes haughty, I will bring her down. Babylon was nothing but a hammer in God's hand to bring about his judgment on His people who had turned against Him, fulfilling what He had promised He would do if they would not turn and they would not repent. God is silent. God is silent. But what about for us? What do we hold on to in the times of struggle and hardship and trial? What do we hold on to when our loved ones are laying in deathbeds? What is it we hold on to when we're going through our own personal struggles? The same thing, the promise of God. We hang on to the promise of God. God has promised. And one day, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. He has given us a future. He has given us a hope. It is what I must remember when I'm praying for Elijah. He has given us a future. He has given us a hope. And he sees little Elijah in his suffering and in his pain. He sees him. He has not forgotten him. He has not forgotten him. But what of the silence of God in this book? What of the silence of God? You remember C.S. Lewis in his, in his book, A Grief Observed. We talked about those books a couple of weeks ago. But in his, in his book, A Grief Observed, which he wrote just before his own death back in 1963. He says this about the silence of God, and I'm quoting, No one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. No one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness on the rebound, one passes into tears and to pathos. Motherland tears, I almost prefer the moments of agony. These are at least clean and honest. Meanwhile, where is God? When you are happy, so happy that you have a sense of need, have no sense of needing Him, if you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise. You will be and or you'll feel so welcomed in his arms, but go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. This is a man of God. This is a man of God dealing with profound grief. And as he goes to God, he is met with God's silence. That's not always the case, is it? Oftentimes when we are in in sorrow and we're in struggle, we go to the word of God and we find the comfort of God in the words of God, in the scripture. C.S. Lewis found none. I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago about that experience that I had and I won't reiterate it again silence of God. Have you been there? Have you ever been there? In that kind of profound grief, like the people in Israel here, in Judah and Jerusalem, are feeling a door slammed, bolted and double bolted. And the more and more I cry out the more deafening the silence is. Why, he asked. Is He so present a commander in our times of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Many of us have experienced, we cry out to the Lord and there seems to be no answer. We pray, pouring out our hearts to God, only to hear the words echo back without a reply. I'm sure Elijah's mother and father have been going through the same thing. Dear Christian people, wanting to see deliverance, wanting to see an answer, but the hidden things, the secret things, are to the Lord our God. And there is no answer. There is no healing to take place. It's a a place where faith must grow. It's a place where faith must grow and be strengthened We must go from faith to faith. Especially when we cannot see and we do not hear. The silence for us, however, is not permanent. It's usually temporary. And Lewis would later write these words. I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. I was like the drowning man who cannot be helped because he clutches and grabs. A man drowning, someone's coming up to help him, and he's grabbing and clutching when he needs to just relax and allow the rescuer to take him. If he's grasping and he's flailing about, hard to be saved. When we get to that point before the Lord in those times of struggle and hardship, where we just yield ourselves to Him. We begin to sense His presence. We begin to hear His words spoken to our hearts. And we begin to hear Heaven's answer through His word to our hearts. We've been on a journey of sorts. We've been on a journey through these laments. And our time is quickly getting away. Let's move through. I want to move through some of these laments. Now, I want to show you just a few things as we're moving through. We get into chapter 2. Now in chapter 2 the woman is no longer speaking. The one who interrupted the narrator earlier and gave her laments is now, now it's the narrator who is speaking. He's almost speaking on her defense when we get to chapter 2. But I want you to notice the repeat of something because it's very important that we notice it. Not that you, It's almost impossible not to notice it. When you read through these chapters, look at chapter two. And I'm going to be moving through. I'm not going to be reading every single line and every single verse. Chapter two, it says in the middle of that, he, he cast down from heaven. Who's the he? The Lord God. He goes on in verse two. The Lord has swallowed up and not pitied. He has thrown down in his wrath. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. He has cut off in his fierce anger. You see that the, they're acknowledging that this wrath that is poured out upon them is coming from the Lord himself. He is the one who is bringing it. He has cut off. He has blazed against Jacob. Verse 4. He has bent his bow (coughs) with his right hand like an adversary. He has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire. Verse 5, he has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed her strongholds. Verse 6, he has done violence. He has destroyed his place. Of assembly, his own tabernacle, his own temple, he has destroyed. He has destroyed it. Verse 7 The Lord has spurned his altar, he has abandoned his sanctuary, he has given up the walls of her palaces. Verse 8 The Lord has purposed to destroy, he has stretched out a line, he has not withheld his hand from destroying. Therefore, he caused the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates, this is verse 9, have sunk down to the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. And then there is a break. You notice this break because now you will no longer hear he has. And you will see the results of the he has. Now you're going to read the results of the he has. The elders of Zion sitting on the ground keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground, verse 10. Verse 11, my eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because of the children and the infants faint. They faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? as they swoon like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out in their mother's bosom. How shall I console you? To what shall I liken you? The results of turning away from God. The results of His wrath being poured out. I would suggest, I would suggest that there is a warning here. We have... We mentioned this before, that these laments are a memorial so that you can hear what happened to them and not forget. Don't forget what happened to us. It's a memorial. But it's also a warning. Do not do the same thing lest this happen to you. And I would suggest that the world is teetering in this balance. I would suggest That the world who is turning its back on God, our country itself who is turning its back on God and not relenting unless there is some great revival that will come, the consequences will be the same. Judgment will come. It will come. God is moving on His timetable. Judgment will come. Nothing will stop Him. And the time of the coming of the Son of Man, the time of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing nigh. And judgment will come. It will come. Peter tells us that. Judgment will come. He will pour out his wrath again on an unrepentant world. Chapter 3. I know we're moving through this awfully quick. Before we even move there, go to verse 17 of chapter 2. The Lord has done what He purposed. If you go back to Jeremiah 25, which we do not have the time to do, if you go back to Jeremiah 25, you will see that Jeremiah told them, this is exactly what will happen. If you do not repent, this is exactly what will happen. The Lord has done what He purposed. He has fulfilled His word which he commanded in days of old. He has thrown down. He has not pitied. He has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the horn of your salvation. And you go down through the next verses and you're going to find the results of that. Now we're in chapter 3. Boy, that went quick, didn't it? This is me. You know me. You knew from the beginning that we would never get through all this. You knew from the start. Here is now the prophet Here is Jeremiah now in his own anguish, in his own pain and suffering. I am a man, he says, who has seen the affliction by the rod of his wrath. Jeremiah was a righteous man. Jeremiah was a just man. He was a prophet of God. He was the one God used to give the warnings to the people of God. He was an instrument in God's hands. And yet when the judgment comes, He recognizes his own part with the people of Israel. He recognizes his own part with them. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He suffers along with the people of God. There was no escape. There was no escape. And the judgment fell on the just and the unjust. And they were taken away to captivity in Babylon. He has aged my flesh, verse 4. He has besieged me. He has made, set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has edged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. He shut the door to my prayers. Over and over again. He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. He turned aside his ways over and over. It's an acknowledgement of the God who is bringing the judgment. And then he says down in verse 16, He has broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said my strength and my hope, have perished from the lord that is a sad place to be a sad place to be to be without hope no more strength no more hope there are millions in this world that are right there they have no hope This is all they have is this life. This is all they have. They have no future. Beyond this life, the future will be separation from God forever. To have no hope, to have no strength is a sad place to be. Then he gets into the very heart of this of this entire book. He says, remember Remember my affliction. Remember my affliction. Remember my poverty. Remember my homelessness. Remember my roaming. The wormwood and the gall. If you read in chapter 9 of Jeremiah, you'll find some explanations there as well. The bitterness of what I am tasting. The bitterness of what I have. My stomach is churning with bitterness. My soul still remembers, remembering the time of this destruction that he was writing about. My soul still clearly remembers those awful, awful days. And it sinks within me. It bows down within me. This I recall to my mind. I remember how hard and how awful the destruction was. I remember seeing the women in the streets fainting away. I remember seeing the little children dying from starvation. I remember seeing the mothers boiling their children in in cauldrons to eat. I remember it all. I remember them sitting in the ashes. I remember. I remember. I call it to mind. Therefore, I have hope. How weird is that? What a contrast that is, isn't it? This is Jeremiah, we believe, who's writing these words. I have remembered all the hardship, all the difficulties, but I have hope. I have hope. Jeremiah knew the promises of God. Jeremiah knew what was next on the calendar. He knew that after 70 years in captivity, that the Lord would bring them out. He knew that his promises had not failed. He knew. Do you know? Do you know in your depths of your heart that the promises of God have not failed? Do you know in your heart, in the depths of your heart, that you have a future and a hope? Regardless of what the world throws at us, regardless of administration after administration in this world, regardless of hyperinflation, regardless of all of the nonsense, it does not deter our hope. For our hope is not in governments. Our hope is not in the president. Our hope is not in any of these things. It's not one of those things where we say, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. And that's supposed to encourage you somehow. It does not. Our hope is in the living God whose purposes and plan will come about. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, he would say, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Beautiful words. Now I've got three minutes left and we haven't even gotten through this. But where do you end a study like this? Where do you end a study that is full of grief and lament and pain and suffering? Where do you end a study like this? I was thinking the other day, last week or week before last, I think I shared it with a couple of you. So I was thinking, standing before, sitting before the Lord and, and praying. and how do, I, how do you get to an end of this story? How do you get to an end in a message series like this? And the word that came to my heart was, go to the end of the book. Go to the end of the book. So we're going to turn there in the last couple of minutes that we have together. We're going to go to the end of the book. And we're going to start reading at verse 15. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. That's just the opposite of Psalm 30, isn't it? Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing for me. Here it is, just the opposite. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. That's the crux of the whole issue. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes walking about on it. O Lord, you, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we shall be restored. The prayer that goes up to God. No answer here. We know the answer comes in in Ezra. But here there is no answer. But the prayer goes up. Lord, you remain forever. You remain forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. You know, the Babylonians, they think they have beaten you. The Babylonians are mocking us, making fun of us, destroying our stuff, and then turning around and mocking us. All our enemies are mocking us. Where is your God? Where is your great God? But the fact of the matter, they say here, is Our God is from everlasting. You have not won Babylon. You have not defeated God. He is forever. And he will answer our prayer. And restoration will come from the hand of God. Now you will remember, because you are students of the word of God, you will remember that when they finally do return, not all of them return. Some choose to stay in Babylon. A great majority of them choose to stay in Babylon. Of course, this is the next generation along. But they've grown up in Babylon. They've come accustomed to Babylon. They enjoy Babylon. They're not going to leave Babylon. That's where their business is. That's where they've grown up. This is our home. A remnant will return with Elijah. A remnant will return with Nehemiah. A remnant will come. When you get away into Babylon, when you get away into the world and you allow the world to get a hold of you and you forget the promise and purpose of God for your life. And the world gets a hold of you. When the Lord calls, will you let go? Do not be conformed to the world. But be transformed. Let your minds be renewed. Do not get stuck in Babylon's muck. Do not get stuck in the world's muck. Turn to the Lord and be restored. Be restored. Oh, my. Time gets away so very quickly. And as I've said before, the clock is the friend of the listener and the enemy of the speaker. And we have gotten there. We've gotten to our hour. I hope these things have been encouraging to you. These last verses are are actually rather haunting verses. But it's only because we know the rest of the story. It's only because we can see beyond what was written here. We can see the books and the promises of God that we have hope. Father, we want to remember. We want to remember all that your people endured and what they went through. We want to remember it was because of their own sin, their own individual sin and the sin of the nation that caused your wrath to fall upon them. We recognize, Father, that we as your people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of your Son, too can wander away, too can wander into fleshly appetites and desires of the flesh and wander away. But, Lord, you will not forget your promises. You will not forget. You will bring judgment. You will bring discipline to get us back to where we need to be. Pray, Lord, that our hearts would be sensitive to your voice, sensitive to your word, sensitive to you that we might be walking in ways that bring you honor and glory. And as we go through a world that is troubling and hard and we see all the struggles around us and we, we can look up with steadfast hope because we know that our Redeemer lives and on the earth again we'll stand. So we give you thanks, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you.